Welcome to the Met Up Podcast. I am Christian Shabu. I'm George Black. And we are in the middle of September, and it is a beautiful, beautiful fall day here in New Haven, Georgia, as we look out the window here at the Grove. It's a little hot, but it's good. It is. Shout out to the Grove. This is like our unofficial studio for now for Men Up. One day, maybe one day soon, we'll have our own studio. Yeah. I, I'm going to speak that right now. Yeah. Speak even, it. Even if I speak You didn't speak it. I spoke it. I'm going to agree with what you spoke. I'm going to agree with what you spoke. Even if like, I feel like I want to build it in like my house somewhere. You know what I'm saying? Or in, or in your house. Wow. We're building it. You're just volunteering houses. We don't even own these houses. These, like We have landlords. Yo. I, two years, bro. I'm saving up. Two years, I'm going to own a house. I, I promise you. Okay. You're speaking that into I'm existence. I'm speaking that wow. right now. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're going to own the house. And then we're gonna build a podcast studio in the house. Is that that's, what I'm hearing? That's what I'm, that, yes, yes. Because I'm definitely gonna have like a, a gaming slash uh, man room. You know what I'm saying? And part of it is going to have to be a studio since this is clearly going to continue. So instead of calling it a man room, can we call it the men up room? We can call the studio the men up room. Man. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, if that's going to be within two years, we still got to find some place to, to make our studio. What would you put in our studio? So there, there's things we'd have to do. Like we're going to up the ante here with all of our production quality stuff in the next couple months right. as we make this podcast better and better. But what would you put in the studio to, to really make it an official Men Up studio, regardless of where it is? Yeah, yeah. I would put, I think the two things I would put is a big overproduced picture of the leadership team, of the Men Up leadership That's team. That's beautiful. Yeah. We I just saw one of them this morning outside. We did. We did. Shout out to Dante. Um, I would definitely put that picture in there. And I would want, I would hang up the Men Up t-shirt from like framed the Men like Up t-shirt. case. Yeah, from, from, from this year's summit. Yep. I would do that. And then I think I would put the manifesto somewhere in there. Um, whether that's like on a desk or maybe we could just have it hanging up. But the last thing I got to make sure is in there uh, is a PS4. That's got to happen. Yeah, wow. Absolutely. We're putting a PS4 in the studio. Yeah, we are. Does that mean we're putting a TV in there too? We may be putting a TV. I mean, we gotta, if you got to have a PS4, you need a TV. Wow. You're, you're building things out, man. Yo, you have, you're the one got me imagining this we, stuff. We I'm get, excited. We, we got a budget suddenly. We got line <laughs> items. Wow. I donated Woo. the PS4. Oh, that's that's very charitable of yeah, you, George. You know, you know, Appreciate if we, if you. We make, if we make it happen, and the, and the thing's gonna be in my house anyway, why not? I'll just put my PS4 there. That's a beautiful thing, and we thought we'd just let you all in on it. Um, this is traditionally what happens here in our in our meetings together, right? So we get together, we we chop it up a little bit, we talk about things going on in our personal life, but obviously get down to work with the men up work, and we've been doing this consistently on Tuesdays for six months now. It was a habit that we set back in the early spring last year. And yeah, we decided to, to commit to that and also commit to at the same time, our own personal betterment of going to the gym together at that same time. So Tuesdays have become like this men up day where in the morning we go to the gym and then soon after that we, we work out. So I'd love to know from you, George, for somebody who, uh, I've been going to the gym consistently now for a long, long time. Um, but for somebody who this has become a new habit, a new tradition, what what has that impact been for you? So what I what I was really clear about, and actually I have 
me and Christian have talked a few times about going to the gym together before I actually committed to doing it. But what I'm clear about for myself is, as a man, it, it's like accountability is really important. And so there are habits that I want to create in my life that I know that if I don't have the accountability, it's, it's just actually not going to happen, at least not with the velocity that I want it to happen. Maybe I can do it on my own. Right. I have some faith in myself. And I know I can get there much faster if I have someone that I trust connected to it. And so me and Christian have already been discussing that there is no one who, who I functionally spend more time with in my life at this moment at this time than Christian. Facts. And so I was like, why not why not attach it to to what we are to the flow we already have? And I have to say, I actually do feel the difference. Working out is still a, a habit that I feel like I'm still easing into. Being able to go and go hard every time we go. We actually go on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, but what I do appreciate is when I wake up at five in the morning, I'm clear that unless I'm sick or like something happened, right, there's someone who I am responsible to, right? Like someone who I've committed to going to the gym with. And that gets me out of bed sometimes even more than like my personal health, right? Like it's, it's, it's the partnership, the accountability, the connection I've made with someone else. There's two points in there that you made that are really important for me too. So, so coming from it, coming at it from a different angle, for myself as somebody who, who has gone to the, to the gym, has been working out pretty consistently since I was in high school. Right, because doing sports, like, it's kind of some of the work you had to put into, yep. right? Like whether it was working out at the school gym that we had or getting a gym membership and going to the gym then. And what's interesting is that for much of my life when I've partnered with somebody to go to the gym, it's been somewhat of a competitive relationship, right? Even if we don't overtly make it a competitive relationship, right? I'll be at the gym looking at my buddy. I remember this like with a bunch of my buddies from high school and, and college, right? Uh, and thinking like, oh, that person's lifting that much. I should be lifting that much. Or like, they're doing that. I should be doing this, right? And I think what's been really valuable for us, at least from my opinion, is like, it is merely just about accountability with us. Like once we both get to the gym, like you're doing your routine, I'm doing my routine. We don't really interact with each other all that much beyond just like once in a while, maybe giving a wave or a salute or like a, you're doing okay, right? But like we're doing our own thing. So it's much more about just keeping each other accountable than it is like, oh, I've got to get to that person's level. I've got to act this way like that person. It's more about like focusing on ourselves. Yeah, and I really appreciate that. I appreciate hearing you say that because as someone who is much more versed in working out than I am, I often find myself being like, what's he lifting? Right? <laughs> and, then, and then being like, nope, not going there. So I'm clear. And I'm like, if I begin to compare, I won't stop comparing. So then I'm just like, oh, I see him walking. I'm not going to look at his weights. I'm going to just go ahead and, and, and use this machine. I actually felt really good. Like, you know, the good sore. Like the sore that I know you did something in the gym. Yeah. Right. I, I felt that last time we were, I worked out. So I know there's, there's progression happening. As long as I'm progressing, you know, I know you out there being great. You've been being great in the gym. So, uh, no, I, I appreciate that. I think the other point that you made that was really powerful, and this is a point that I don't know, I don't know if this exists for, for women, right? But this idea of when starting at the gym or starting to work out or, or, or doing that, there's often this perception for, for men. And I, I saw this actually this week with some of the young men I was working with at school that are just recently getting into being more fit, like taking their health more seriously and, and all this sort of stuff. There's this idea that you've got to go like zero to a hundred real quick, right? And that, oh, I've got to be able to run this fast right now, or I've got to be able to hit the gym and lift like all this heavy weight immediately. And one, 
that's dangerous, right? It's like you're literally not set up to do that, right? You've got to build to your point. And two, it just gets, it feeds into this notion of like competition with the outside world for your health rather than like competing with yourself and knowing yourself of like, what am I doing to build and build and build towards a better health? The feelings we have about who we should be or who, where we should be as opposed to who we are and where we are, right? And so, yeah, when I get on a treadmill and I get tired after seven minutes, the reason why I feel bad about that is because something or someone, myself, some other people, a combination of the two, has told me that I should be able to do something different than what I'm able, what I'm actually able to do, right? And I'm not trying to be something that I'm actually not at the detriment of who I, who and what I actually am. And maybe one day I will be able to run, well, yeah, seven minutes straight and not pass out, but uh, it's okay that I'm not there now. Right, <laughs> yeah. if you keep with it, you will. Right, right. You'll right, get right, there right. at some and point, and you I don't see know that when. Goal. Yeah, no, that's a good point too. It will come, but it, but it won't come if all I'm focused on is the fact that I'm not there. Even though we're not engaging a lot, there'll be moments where if I'm going to get some water or something, I see you on the treadmill and like, I've noticed, you know, you are, you're running more and you're more and more and more, right? And, and knowing that just six months ago, you running on the treadmill was not something that you were set up to do yet, right? And, and so it's been cool as, as your friend, as your accountability partner in that and seeing that progression too. Shout out to one minute on, one minute off, man. I'm telling you. Look at you giving out, giving out the treadmill tips to everybody Yo, today. Man. You charging for this? You training people? What are you doing? What's up, man? Nah, man, that, that's a free tip, baby. That's a free tip, and I don't even need no money for that. Let me borrow a dollar, Christian. You know, you continue to do this. Let me borrow a dollar. <laughs> you will, you will pull that trick for all the people out there in the world. George loves doing. It, it's almost like a. You use it as a test, not actually as a, you want the dollar. I don't actually want your dollar. I want to see if you will give me a dollar. And best believe if you ask me for a dollar, I'm giving it to you. So, yeah, it's, it's more like, will you give me the dollar? Okay, I, I think I might want to rock with you. But. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to do a podcast episode one day just on the origins of where that came from and why you continue to do it. Because it is <laughs> one of the things in knowing you for close to six years now, I'm like, why does he do that? You know a little bit of why, though. I do. A little bit. I do. I do know a little bit. It's important. It is. Yo, have people around you who will give you a dollar if you ask for one, man. You need people that will support you, right? People that might reconcile with you, too, right? In the times where things get challenging. And in previous podcasts, we've been talking about it in terms of comebacks for several folks who have done some pretty terrible things, several men who have done some pretty terrible things in the midst of the Me Too movement. But we actually wanna celebrate some progress that's been made. So at the recent Drake concert in Boston, uh, which is the Aubrey and the Three Migos tour uh, at the stop in Boston, Drake actually brought Meek Mill out on stage. And these two men had a handshake, had a really big embrace. Uh, Meek ended up performing one of his songs during Drake's set. And then afterwards, there were all these amazing uh, posts on Twitter and Instagram and everywhere else uh, where these two men, as well as several other people surrounding them, their community surrounding them, were posting all these great things that, that these men had officially buried a grudge that they had held for three years. It was three long year grudge that was primarily based in having diss tracks, talking about how 
oh, your girl is supporting you here, or you're not as good at your job as I am at this job, right? It, it's the traditional things we see in diss tracks, right? But it was it was three long years and, and a grudge that was often identified. And, and in a very public way, these two men got rid of that grudge. And, and I think that that's really powerful, that, that notion of a public forgiveness and a public reconciliation I think it's necessary, particularly for something like hip hop. So if something like hip hop, just because of how influential hip hop is, and then also what's really great is just watching two men on a stage, you know, bury the hatchet and also say that those things uh, made them feel powerful, right? Like, uh, so uh, when asked about it, Drake said, this really gave me a peace of mind tonight. Healing and moving forward created one of the most electrifying and gratifying moments in my career. Drake is identifying there that uh, forgiveness, reconciliation, burying the hatchet, these things made him feel powerful. These things made him feel accomplished and made him feel like he was doing something that was leaning in the right direction. Drake didn't necessarily say this outright, but there's a signification of this idea that uh, forgiveness, reconciliation uh, ultimately leads towards, towards power, right? So we reconcile. And reconciling relationships, forgiving, gives us a sense of peace, right? Uh, peace leads to freedom. And freedom is, is, is the place where we can most adequately find our power, right? And so there's, there's something really powerful about Drake saying outright. Like, this, is, this wasn't just like, oh, you know, it was, it was too long, whatever. It didn't really matter. No, this was a significant part of his career. And we're talking about a man who is... A multi-Grammy winning, like this man has so many accomplishments, but this is one of the most gratifying parts of his career. I think that's really, really important to recognize. Then when we talk about hip hop, I think it's like, it's, it's so crazy to think about it in hip hop because hip hop is such a powerful influencer, right? For the last 20 years. And one of the most, if not the most influential uh, form of music. And, and culture shaper in this country, right? And I think it's indisputable that it has shaped pop culture for the last twenty years. Yeah, we, right. If, if we, we can't we can't argue that, but which to me makes this all the more exciting, right? Because this culture shaper has also been the the stage for so much beef and so much grudges and so much uh, aggression and competition and and. Even in the last few weeks, we've had a few examples of that, right? Like we've had uh, Machine Gun Kelly, right? And, and his beef with Eminem. We've had Nicki Minaj and, and her beef with Cardi B. And these things have actually gotten more play, right? We haven't heard so much about uh, Meek and Drake as we heard about these beefs because that's the nature of hip hop, right? So this, this, this squashing of this beef is actually really powerful to, to think about. You made the point earlier that oftentimes, like hip hop artists, folks in the hip hop culture have success based off of these beefs and grudges, right? And, and that like it often fuels excitement, right? Or, or intrigue, right? And in fact, even for Drake, his diss track back to back, it like won awards, right? So the idea that he was benefiting from this grudge, both, both men benefiting from this grudge, but like ultimately they weren't benefiting from it as people, right? And, and I would argue, and I think you would argue as well, that like we weren't, we weren't and aren't benefiting from these grudges culturally. Like it just promotes this idea, getting back to something we were just talking about earlier, that we are in a constant state of competition and that competition means that as men, we're doing whatever we can to the other man to be a step above, right? And that's just not powerful. 
which to me makes this this squashing this this beef squashing so much more of a breath of fresh air, right? It's like, oh, maybe we turn it over the new leaf. Maybe it's alright to squash a beef. Well, and as media creators, right? It's our responsibility to cover these things mm -hmm. because part of this story too is that it gets the beefs and the grudges get more airtime because that's what the media outlets are focusing on, right? It is not this idea that hip hop is inherently flawed in a way that it is always competitive or is always feuding, right? Or that men are always competitive or always feuding, but it is the thing that is continually focused on, right? So I think one of the things we were so excited about is to give this airtime, right? And actually say, yeah. no, this deserves just as much airtime, if not more than the, the Eminem and MGK beef and the Cardi B and Nicki beef, right? That like, no, the squashing of beef, the, the reconciliations are really important for us to highlight. So it got me thinking and us in conversation about, well, why don't we forgive? Why don't we reconcile? And there's a whole bunch of research as we were doing research for this episode. There's research out there that says, oh, men don't forgive or reconcile nearly as much as women. There's research out there that says the opposite. Women don't reconcile and forgive nearly as much as men. It's all about context. So we're not necessarily going to get into who, which one of the sexes or which group of people forgive more or less or reconcile more or less. That's not what it's about, but it's just as people, why don't we forgive? Why don't we reconcile? And we came across a really great article that was actually published in Men's Health about two years ago. And a doctor of psychology from Santa Clara University, Thomas Plant, had a really powerful quote in there. Uh, and I think really summed up why we don't reconcile. And so he said that grudges tied to wrongdoings are not allowing someone to get away with wrongdoing. If you forgive, men think, they let the other guy get away with it. Right? So this idea that there needs to be some sort of consequence, there needs to be some sort of retribution, however you want to think of it, that justice, justice right? That your action, if you do something harmful to me, can't go unchecked. What's interesting to me about that is that, well, twofold. I think the first thing is um, so, so often not forgiving actually has a significant effect on our health. Right, as men, as people, it, it actually does damage to our body, right? And so, recently, forgiveness has been shamed as something you do for you, right? Um, it's something that's 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 in support of who you are and in support of your health, right? Um, but that bleeds into this this bigger this bigger distinction around the differences between uh, reconciliation and forgiveness. Right. And I think the difference is really important because part of the reason why I feel like people don't forgive is because they tie it so readily to reconciliation. They feel like to forgive is to also remain in relationship with a person. So forgiveness is saying that thing you did, like I, re I release you of, of that. Right. And I will say that, that is definitely more about you. Right. And, and it's important to frame it in that way, because whether you're holding a grudge or not, doesn't necessarily have too much of a effect on the other person. Right. Um, so it's really about you being able to let go and move on um, so that you can take care of yourself and you can love yourself well. Reconciliation, on the other hand, is about the reestablishing of relationship. Right. So in order for there to be reconciliation, there had to have been a relationship that was severed, that was torn because of a wrongdoing or a disagreement or something. Right. And reconciliation is how do we 
come back to relationship. Maybe we have to redefine the relationship. Maybe we have to, you know, think of different terms or step back on a relationship, but there's still a relationship, right? And reconciliation, I want to be clear, while I'm a big believer in the reconciliation of all things, reconciliation is not always the good or healthy or safe option. Forgiveness, I think, is always necessary, right? Because you have to move on. But reconciliation may actually be dangerous in some situations, right? Sometimes you have to step away from that. Right, um, some relationships should not persist. Right? Exactly. Some relationships are actually not healthy, not good, and you should actually exit them and and never go back, right? And yeah, forgiveness is still necessary. Forgiveness is always necessary. Reconciliation may not always be. What's interesting is later on in that article, Plant talks about how for men that reconciliation or that retribution, right? Because we're not talking about reconciliation here. We're talking about retribution mm. is often done violently, right? It's a retaliation. It's done violently, right? And I think that that might be, at least from my observations, where there's a distinction between the way that men traditionally think about grudges and how to retaliate to those and maybe how women do is like there's there's often a, a little bit of a more overt like i need to get back in it in a violent or physical way right and that's what will restore whatever's going on here like you've wronged me so there needs to be some sort of physical altercation or there needs to be some sort of aggressive physical act right revenge and it, and it oh man and it goes back to this this thing that we've been talking about too around uh, as men, we often feel like we're the ones who feel who have to make things right. Like I have to make it right. So if someone wrongs me, I have to be the one to do this to to initiate this physical altercation or to or yeah to initiate retribution. Right? I have to be. The I gotta one. have the answer. Yeah, I gotta be the one. Right? I gotta be the one. And that's also I think why forgiveness is is so rough because it feels so passive. It feels like I didn't do anything about it. And the violent or aggressive act is the most accessible, mm. right? And in many ways is, is the easiest, right? Like if I need to get back to you, well, I'm, I am at this point an able-bodied person, so I can use my body to do that, mm. right? Whereas if we're really talking about forgiveness or reconciliation, it requires vulnerability, right? Whether that's a vulnerability with ourselves to do that work of like, how am I going to forgive? Or it's a vulnerability of that other person or group of people because if we're gonna maintain and renew our, our relationship, our bond, we gotta be able to be vulnerable about some stuff. So, so And vulnerability is a lot harder than using your physical body to respond. Yeah, the thing we want to do is actually, usually tends to be the easier thing, the thing that feels more natural, more innate in the moment, right? But vulnerability, takes a really powerful stepping back and an ability to say, I know what I want to do, I acknowledge that, and that definitely is not the best thing for this situation, and what is. Forgiveness is saying, yo, I, I, don't, I don't, actually don't want the repercussions that come with being violent or being hurtful or, or yeah, feeling like I have to be the one to make sure that you understand that what, was, what happened was wrong and you need to do right by me. What do you think you've learned from any of the relationships or moments where reconciliation needed to happen or forgiveness needed to happen in your life that it didn't happen? What have you learned from that? Yeah, I mean, so I've, I've been married before. I'm no longer married. And uh, I've mentioned this maybe on the podcast before, definitely in like minute minutes. And, uh, but I, yeah, and I think what I, what I recognized was reconciliation at least for me was was not safe 
right? It was not the thing uh, that needed to happen, right? And so as a result, I left, she left, we decided things uh, needed to end, and uh, we eventually came to the point where we, we felt mutual about that, right? There was a piece about that between us. And what I recognized was, one, that is the moment where I, I came to the realization that forgiveness is always necessary, right? Because forgiveness is about my heart and it's about how I'm interacting with the world. And if I'm if I'm harboring this lack of forgiveness, this grudge, it actually is pouring into the way I work with my coworkers and the way I work with the students that I work with. And the way I, and why did I just flip out on my brother? Like why did right? <laughs> it all leads back to right. this this lack of forgiveness, right? Um, the other thing I think became really clear is that in most situations, even when I had was done wrong, egregiously wrong, I also played a role in something, right? Um, when I left my marriage, if you asked me why my marriage ended, I would have given you a dissertation as to what, what my, my ex-wife did, right? And now, I can tell you very, very clearly what my role was also in, in that, right? And that, that took time, uh, that took lots of reflection, that took some tears, right, to really realize that I may have done some things that I, at one point in my life, would have said I would have never done, right? And so I think I learned, one, uh, the power of owning what you, like owning your part and why something broke down. Um, but then also being able to look at myself as someone who did X, someone who did Y, someone who did Z. I, I can move away from that. I can do better in the future, and I'm still worthy of this love, of this belonging. One, thank you for sharing that. Two, the last point you made about the understanding what part of this you need to own and thus forgive, yep. right? I think is, is where my learning in, in this starts, right? And, it, and it's, uh, it's an example for me that it took a long time to forgive and really forgive. And so I think back to a friendship that I, that I started with one of my uh, freshman year uh, college sweet mates. Um, and him and I were really close for about two years. And our, our, our people that were both incredibly passionate, incredibly family oriented. So we saw our, our relationship as family, right? But also in that time and over the years, we grew in very different ways and ultimately grew into diff different versions of ourselves that just drifted apart from each other, right? And, and weren't in the, interested in the same things or really wanted to hang out or just took different paths, right? And we didn't articulate that. We were 20 year old boys still. We were acting like boys, right? That, that friendship ended very abruptly um, and, and almost in like a very severe physical altercation, right? And for years didn't forgive that, like harbored that. The best way to describe it is like that heat. Mm -hmm. Like that's what it felt like. It just felt like heat, mm -hmm. right? Like, like this part, this part of my soul that was like always hot about something. Like it was a button that could be pushed at any time. Like if I thought about it, it would just get me all fired up, right? And it took reflecting on what some of our friends that were in our group, right? So, so the people that were spectators or the third party in this, some of what they had said, right? Which at the time, like I took that as an incredibly personal thing. So did, so did my friend. And really it was that we grew apart and that that's okay. 
right? And, and that that happens in relationships. And like, I had heard them say that, but I didn't really listen to it. I also had some part in this too, right? And I had to recognize that like, when we came to, to that almost near confrontation, I was doing things deliberately to get under his skin, just as he was to get under my skin, right? I had to own that before I could forgive him, right? I had to forgive, I had to own my own stuff, I had to forgive my stuff, and then I had to forgive him, right? And I didn't know that that had actually fully happened until we had like a 10 year reunion or whatever it was, and we saw each other and it was like, oh hey, what's up, right? And we were able to do the pleasantries, able to check in real quick, but kept it pushing. To your point that like there is a clear distinction between reconciliation and forgiveness, and we need to be able to, to walk that line. And I, th- I think in getting to these next steps, I think one, one area and one place that can help us with that is the third party, right? So there's this idea that came out from this TED Talk that we were both listening to from the TED Talk Hour uh, from a gentleman by the name of Bill Yuri, who's been involved in just about every major conflict around the globe since the late 80s. Like any sort of peace talks, any sort of reconciliations, he has somehow had a seat at the table. And he talks about this idea that like the third party is often seen as the spectator, right? Whether it's friends of friends in a group uh, between the two people that are disputing or it's the people of a country that see their country and another country warring, their political parties warring or figureheads warring, all that sort of stuff. And that we become spectators or consumers of it rather than the people that can actually have a vital, powerful role in it. There's an interesting connection here to this Meek Mill Drake story, which was that for years, a friend of theirs, a connection, Kevin Hart, was trying to get them around the table and to reconcile and to squash the beef. His consistent trying to push them together to do that might have had a huge impact in them actually finally coming together to reconcile, right? But this idea that, that we as the people around any sort of challenge or grudge actually can play a powerful role in resolving it for other people if we so choose. Oh, that's good. And it's good because it breaks the notion that grudges, beefs are simply personal. Yeah, these beefs are actually having an effect on how people think about confrontation and conflict. So it's already affecting the world, right? And what's important is to recognize that letting people in to those to those disagreements instead of simply saying this is something, I, again, this is something I have to deal with on my own, this is about me and it's about him and it's about no one else. And it's, maybe, maybe that's true to an extent. Maybe it's not. And maybe uh, there are people in the world who are able to, to look into things and see things in a way, right? Basically, there's a sense in which there's a, a bird's eye view, right? That people can have that you don't have when you're in a situation, right? And to think that I actually play a role in your beef with someone else, right? To actually think that goes against a lot of what we think about when we think about our individualism. and Well, it connects a lot of what we've been talking about here today, right? Like you mentioned earlier that when you have things that need to be reconciled or forgiven in one area of your life, it affects the way you're interacting with your family, right? With whoever you work with, right? Or with your young people or your community, right? It has an impact there, right? And so too, those people can have an impact on us reconciling it to your point that they can have a bird's eye view, right? And and can be a little bit clearer for us and, and help us see things clearer than what our emotions are being really dug into, like whatever nuances, whatever little things there are in whatever that grudge is, it can actually help us see the bigger picture. And it also gets us away from this idea that 
as men, we have to always handle things on our own, by ourselves, have the answers. We don't. Spoiler alert, we actually don't. <laughs> Spoiler alert to this movie called Manhood. You don't have to have the answers, and you probably don't have a lot of them just by yourself. And so there's also, in case folks want further understanding of like reconciliation, right? Because th- this, this idea of reconciliation is something that whole countries, right? Whole groups of people have taken on in really powerful ways, historically and in the last 20 to 30 years, right? And so what are some of the resources folks can use when we start to understand how to, how to reconcile, how to forgive? I think there are two really cool ones that I would love to, to share. Uh, think ones that had really powerful effects in my life. The first is uh, the idea of love languages. Um, I don't know if you ever read a book called The Five Love Languages. You may have heard of it. It's really popular and Basically, it's framed in light of romantic relationships, but they have since written a lot of it around your relationship with children, your relationship with parents, or your relationship with friends. And I think it's really important to just say that love languages work across the board. Um, but the five love languages are the primary ways that people tend to give and receive love, right? And uh, they break down into uh, words of affirmation, physical touch, quality time, gifts, and acts of service. And so these are the five ways that we both give and receive love and it's important to know that the, when you take the test you, you see what your love language is and your love language is both the way that you tend to give love and the way that you tend to receive it right and so it's really important in some cases especially if we're talking about forgiveness reconciliation to know how does someone receive love right um, and to know that the way that you tend to give love may not necessarily be the way that someone receives love Right? So seeking that information, if you are serious about forgiveness, if you're serious about specifically reconciliation in this regard, uh, is really important. And then the other one I wanted to offer is a book called uh, The Book of Forgiveness, the book, the book of Forgiving, rather. And it is by uh, Desmond, and Desmond Tutu and his daughter, Umpo Tutu. They wrote this book based off of their experience uh, with the Reconciliation Council in South Africa, which was mandated by uh, Nelson Mandela. And... It was about how they created this space where after the atrocities of apartheid, people would come and either offer forgiveness or ask for forgiveness for the atrocities that happened in apartheid. And it was some of the craziest things, right? And so uh, it's an amazing book. It kind of gives a practical step-by-step process of forgiveness. Um, And I thought it was incredibly helpful for me. So those are two powerful things I I would offer. In doing this, I was a little bit inspired in thinking about the love languages, George, as we brought it up. And I want to play a quick game okay. with you. We're gonna create. We're gonna create the first ever game here on the Men Up podcast. One thing you will learn about me is I absolutely love games. Right, you love this. I think you'll love this game. Okay. I love this game. Okay. So, here's the game. The game is called "What If I Fuck Up." That's the name of it. <laughs> Trademarked. <laughs> so, got it. You you made this up. Right. Yeah, you, trademark. Yeah, this is not. I trademarked. This is not a real game. <laughs> okay. Hasbro has not put this out in any sort of form. Okay, got it, got it. So, here's how the game is going to work. You and I are good friends. And up until this point, I don't think that there's been any sort of significant challenge, grudge that you and I have had with each other, right? There might have been some miscommunication, but there's never been anything serious. And I think it's interesting for us to think about, like, well, what happens if we do fuck up and do something really major, right? And oftentimes, we're going to frame some of the major things by things that we traditionally see men do to each other. So 
Think about it this way. I'm going to have you think about these things and then tell me how you would want to have love expressed to you in order to reconcile our relationship. Okay. 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 So one is if we're someplace and I throw you under the bus around something, whether it's with work or around somebody that we both find interest in romantically, I throw you under the bus in some way, right? Or I try to make you look bad. Another would be to be too competitive to the point of actually harming you, whether it's mentally or physically in some way. Those are two things I often see very regularly happen with, with men and not just like young men and boys, like all men, I see that. Yeah. So if I did one of those things to you or both of those things, how would you want to be reconciled with? How would you want to have love given to you? For me, what's really, really important is an admission that what happened wasn't okay from you, right? So, yo, I did X. I did it in this moment because X, Y, Z, and that wasn't okay, and I apologize. In a moment where uh, something egregious happened or something that just, like, feels like a sever, asking, like, actually asking for forgiveness. Like, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me doesn't necessarily have to be your language, right? Like... Yo, I'm sorry, can we, can we let this go? Or like however you want to you wanna spin it, right? But most authentic to you. I think with the first one though. You're not going to say I've actually done this, have I? No, you okay, have not. Okay, good. <laughs> you, have not, you have not. You have not done this. Uh, <laughs> I should have checked on these examples. But like, hey, did I actually yeah, ever do these? Or did you actually ever do these? They have such different tastes to women anyway. <laughs> that I'm not actually sure we would ever come against this problem. So, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think... I think the first, outside of what I just named, the, the last thing, this like setting up boundaries, like, yo, if I notice you into somebody, I'm gonna back off, you know what I'm saying? Like, like it's not worth the friendship or whatever, right? And setting up those parameters. And I think the last thing is just uh, affirming our friendship, yo. Because words of affirmation is actually my top love language. It literally connects everything you just said, yeah. right? Like the idea of acknowledging with language, like you're affirming that something was wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so, and just affirming, like, yo, I just want to let you know that, like, our friendship is important to me and blah, blah, blah. Like, hearing those things from me is just very important. Um, and then with the, the, the competitive setting, I think the main thing is, yo, in the future, just know I'm committed to not ever physically harming you again. That wasn't okay. Like, you know? Yeah. Um, so, again, affirming your commitment to making sure that what happened that severed our relationship wouldn't happen again. I think for me, it's really about quality time, right? I'm somebody that really appreciates having time to like, if there's something that's been wrong and to your point that the person is proactive in acknowledging it. In this case, you're active in yeah. acknowledging it, yeah. but then it's like, cool, let's sit around a table. Let's, let's be in an apartment somewhere. Let's break bread, whatever. But like, let's, let's talk this thing through. Mm-hmm. Like it's about quality time. And like, yeah, it's much more about the act of showing that you care through quality time and just committed to like, listen, I know something was wrong. So like, let's, let's figure this out and not just like a quick sort of like, Hey, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Let's move past. Yeah. It's the act of like committing time that is powerful for me. I think the last thing for me, I would also add in is that, uh, physical touch is my second most important love language. Just so like we can like hug each other or dap each other up yep. or usually we do a combination of both. We'll dap each other up and then we go for a hug. Um, yeah, I think that's important. Well, I know this has been an incredibly insightful, powerful, and fun episode on the Men Up podcast. 
And if you enjoyed the episode just as much as we did, please like it, rate it, share it, check it out on Apple Podcasts, share it out on all your social networks, and let us know if you've got any, any comments, any topics, anything you would want to see us cover in the Men Up Podcast because we are always looking to get better. But until next time, I am Christian Shabu. I am George Black, and we appreciate y'all so much. <laughs>